Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We've been talking about Church Powerful the past couple of weeks. We took a bit of a break, uh, obviously, over Resurrection Sunday. But today we're going to continue with this. And when I laid the foundation for this, I really felt deep in my spirit that it is time for the church to go to new levels. In the season of worldwide pandemics and you know, which is an attack from the, from the dark world, the spiritual darkness, which has come over the whole world. It is time for the church to rise and to shine the light of Christ. And there are many ways that we do that. But one of the ways is to be able to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what the church is meant to be. You remember Jesus told his disciples not to do anything until they receive power from above. That's what they were doing, waiting in the upper room, praying. And suddenly, the Bible tells us the Spirit of God came upon them and manifested himself in tongues of fire. And Jesus said to them, they had to wait for that moment so that they could be witnesses for him. Now, to be a witness doesn't just mean just saying, I love Jesus and that's it. No, no. It's also manifesting the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been talking about church powerful because that is the heart of God. And uh, I want to pick up from where I left. And if you've missed the last um, two live streams, you can still get them if you get onto the website and, and look for uh, messages and you will find uh, those messages. And I really suggest if you miss them that you make time um, to catch up on those messages. We need to understand that God has already done his part in order for us to become spiritually powerful. He's given us, us his Holy Spirit. He's given us Jesus. He's given us the anointing. He's given us the gifts. All of that is available right now. There's nothing more for God to do. And nothing outstanding from his side. He's done it all. He's made it available to, to us free of charge. So we have everything that we need at our disposal in order to become this powerful entity, this ecclesia. Remember, we spoke about this quite at length. The ecclesia, the gathering of the saints, the church, which is what it is. That powerful entity that God intends us to become. But yet, one thing we have to observe, it seems sometimes that the power is not there. And uh, the enemy seems sometimes to prevail against us instead of the other way around. Where we should be prevailing over the enemy. Often, instead of the enemy capitulating and throwing in the towel and running away from Christians and believers... Sometimes it is us who capitulate to whatever he sends our way, and it is us who throw in the towel. Even though God has done all that he needs to do in order for us to become spiritually powerful, yet there are a number of aspects of our lives that need to change if we are to appropriate 
what he offers to us. And I'm going to go through some of these today, and if we run out of time, I'm going to continue next week. But there are certain things that we have to get right in our walk with God in order to see the fullness of a manifestation of the power of God. I want to share with you today some of these aspects that need attention in order for spiritual power to become more and more prevalent in our lives and increase as a church of Jesus Christ. Now, these aspects of our spiritual development that need to happen in order for us to make room for the power of God to develop more and more in and through our lives. You see, we've got to create the space for God to invade with his power. Our lives are sometimes so cluttered, and there is no space for some of these things. But we have to create the space. We've got to make the space available so that the Spirit of God can come in and fill us with his anointing. So here are some of these aspects that we need to pay attention to. The very first one is, we need to deal with unbelief in our hearts. You know, I've been walking with the Lord now for almost 41 years. No, more, sorry, 43 years. And I've come time and again across people who will say, Pastor Michel, please pray for me. And when I say to them, but you know what, you can pray for yourself. Not that I refuse to pray, pray for them. Of course I pray for them. But I want them to understand that they have the same power. But you know how many times these people have said, no, 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 no. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for me. It's because they don't have the faith. They are in unbelief regarding the fact that if the Spirit of God has been given to the church, he has been given to empower the church. So they have unbelief in their hearts about this. And unbelief is a major stumbling block to God's power being released in and through our life. It's a, it becomes a stumbling block. And do you know, by the way, unbelief is actually a sin. It's a sin in the sight of God. In other words, it does not please God when we nurture unbelief in our hearts. And he will not respond where unbelief is present. God will not respond because this unbelief becomes like a barrier. I, I don't quite know how to describe this, but unbelief does not open up the door, if you want, for God to manifest his power and his anointings. Do you know why unbelief is like that? Because unbelief is telling God that we don't trust what he says. Do you know that when you nurture unbelief in your life, and God had said, listen, this is the way, but you don't believe. You go in a different direction. You're actually telling God, I don't believe what your word says. I don't believe what you have said. I'd rather choose to believe something else. I want you to listen to this. This is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Remember I said unbelief is a sin. Well, now I believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, although in the world of theology, 
They, they say they don't know who wrote it. I truly believe it's the Apostle Paul. And he writes this. Beware, brethren. In other words, be careful. Watch out. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Wow. This, this is a very strong statement. And it describes what unbelief is. It creates an evil heart. As you know, unbelief is the opposite of faith. It's complete opposite of what faith is. So when you and I allow unbelief in our hearts, we effectively nullify the operation of the power of God. Because the power of God works through faith. And so if you don't have faith, and you're in an unbelief situation, you nullify that power from operating in your life and through your life. Matthew, there is a proof of this, Matthew 13, verse 58. It says there, it's talking about Jesus. He did not perform many miracles there. That's in, in his hometown, Nazareth, where he was born. He did not perform many miracles there because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. They didn't have faith in him. And that became a hindrance. Even the Lord Jesus could not perform the miracles that he wanted to perform because of their unbelief. Wow. This was the impact of a people's unbelief in Jesus' ministry in his hometown. Wow. So that unbelief, we've got to deal with that, people of God. We've got to get to the place of faith. Bible says the just, that's the righteous. Those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior shall live by faith. There should be no room in our hearts for unbelief. So in a sense, what happens when you look at that scripture where Jesus couldn't do all the mighty miracles that he did in his own hometown because of their unbelief. What, when you read that scripture, you understand that in a sense... We render God powerless to intervene in and through our lives when we are in unbelief. In a sense, that's what we're doing. We block him. We put something that stops his power from being able to operate in and through us. You know what unbelief is like? It's like putting water on a fire. It kills the fire. Unbelief will kill the fire, the power. That's what unbelief will do. It won't operate anymore because all of these things work through faith. Now, look at this scripture, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. And with whom was he angry? That's God. He's talking about Jesus and God. With whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed him. Now watch what it says in the next verse. So we see that they were unable, wow, they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. They were unable to enter. Enter what? The rest. What was the rest? Their promised land. They were unable to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. So what happened with the people of Israel 
because of this unbelief in their hearts, the greater majority of them never saw their promised land, never tasted of a land of milk and honey. Wow. In other words, they never fulfilled their God-given destiny. They never feel fulfilled the perfect will of God for their lives. You see, God took them out of slavery from Egypt with one purpose only, to take them into their promised land. They had to cross the desert. That was a place of building faith. But instead of doing that, they allowed unbelief to take root in their hearts. As a result, they could not enter their rest. That's what that scripture says. You can go and check it out. I'll give you the reference again. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. You can go and read it for yourself. Because of their unbelief. So that's the very first issue regarding the power of God operating in and through our lives. Unbelief becomes a hindrance to that power. The second thing I want to talk to you about is that we need to deal with sin and carnality in our lives. Sin and carnality. The people of God in today's church often operate more in the flesh than in the spirit. Because that's the way of the world. And, and the people of God are not exempt from that. We get so used to operating in the flesh rather than in the spirit, resulting in a lukewarmness towards the things of the spirit. You know, sometimes it's easier to, to deal with issues in the flesh. And so we take the easy road. Faith has to be developed. You know, if you don't train your muscle, because faith is like a muscle. We always taught this, you've got to exercise this muscle in order for it to grow and become stronger. If you don't exercise these muscles, they will atrophy. That's the word. And what it means is they'll become weaker and weaker and weaker. So the same applies to your faith. You've got to exercise your faith. You've got to look for opportunities. Say, God, I'm going to trust your word in this season. I'm going to trust your word in this circumstance. I'm going to put my faith in you. And the more you exercise your faith, the stronger you will become. And very often, when we don't exercise that faith, and we operate and we choose to go more in the way of the world, the way of the spirit, we become lukewarm towards the things of the spirit. And this is the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. The lukewarm church. The compromising church. And when you see that church, it has no power. No power. If you compromise your walk with God, you will see that the power, the anointing that God intended you to carry will become less and less. You see, the compromising church or the lukewarm church is a stench in Jesus' eyes. And the Bible says, the book of Revelation, he says he will spit it out of his mouth. Uh, you know, church, that's a powerful statement coming from Jesus himself. Wow. I'd hate to be spat out of Jesus' mouth when I face him because I've allowed lukewarmness in my life. Listen to the the book of, uh, the, the, what the word says, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. It says, to the messenger of the church in Laodicea, write, the Amen, he's talking about Jesus, 
the witness who is faithful and true, the beginning of God's creation says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Isn't that what describes many Christians today? Neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. You know, when I look at that scripture, it's almost like Jesus is saying, you know what, you'd have a better deal with me if you were hot or if you were totally cold. But please don't come to be lukewarm and compromising. Wow. Then he says, since you are lukewarm and you are neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I don't need anything. Yet you don't realize that you are miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Let me explain this to you. If you are miserable, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked in the sight of God, do you think his power is going to operate through you? I've got news for you. I doubt it very much. Therefore, I advise you to buy from me gold purified in, in fire so that you may become rich. White clothes to wear so that you may keep the shame of your nakedness from showing. An ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see. Then he ends and he says, I correct and discipline those whom I love. So be serious. Wow. This is Jesus speaking, church. Be serious now and repent. <laughs> this is powerful. This is very powerful. We're talking about the power of God operating. It will never operate in a lukewarm church. Never. Because that lukewarmness is not pleasing to God. Now watch what Jesus advises them in, in verse 18 of that scripture. He says, um, buy from me gold purified in fire, white clothes to wear and ointment. Three things. Gold purified in fire, white clothes to wear and ointment. Amen? What does that mean? The gold purified in fire speaks of a repentant heart. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus is telling the church. Remember, he's talking to the church now. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's telling the church to repent from lukewarmness, from having a foot in the world, a foot in the kingdom of God. You can't have that. Either you choose to follow Jesus or you choose to serve the world, but you can't do both at the same time. So that gold refined in fire speaks of a repentant heart. That a heart that becomes gold in the sight of God. Then the second thing he says, buy from me, is white clothes, which speaks of purification from sin and from the flesh and from carnality. Purification, the removal of these things from our lives. Jesus says, buy these things from me, white clothes. And so what Jesus is telling us here is to purify our hearts by getting rid of carnal and sinful thoughts and behavior. And then the last thing, the third thing he said that he recommends that the church of Laodicea buys from him is the ointment. And the ointment speaks of the Holy Spirit who opens the eyes of our understanding to truth and to God's word, and to God's will. 
So these are three things Jesus says. But as we, we do these things, we begin to shift from the flesh, carnality and sin into spiritual things, into spiritual matters. The Bible says that the flesh is at enmity with the spirit and the spirit with the flesh. They are at enmity with each other. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 8 says this, For to be carnally minded is death. Wow. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Church, you know, I don't know about you. I know one can read this in many ways, but I believe that Paul was writing to the people of God, the Roman church, church in Rome, you know, and he was addressing issues about them. And I know he was talking also to the Jewish people who were still trying to come into the church but observe the law. He was talking about that, part of, of everything he's talking about here. But at the same time, he's also talking about the carnal mind. That means the mind that thinks carnality, that thinks the, thinks the flesh. And the more you give your mind to carnality, the more you give your mind to the flesh, the more your behavior will align itself to your thoughts. That's how it works. And the more you go that way, the less you will be giving attention to things of the spirit. And that then will, can, in a sense, it will diminish the operation of a manifestation of the power and the anointing of the spirit in and through your lives. In other words, the most spiritual power and anointing we desire to see in and through our lives, the more we need to move away from fulfilling the flesh, carnality, and sin. Today, I really want to call a spade a spade. Amen. I'm not mincing my words. I'm not being cushy-cushy because you need to get the message. The church is so full of sin. Wow. Pornography is rife in the church. Divorce is rife in the church. The rate of divorce in the church is the same as outside. Now, if you divorce, I'm not trying to put condemnation on you. I don't know the reason why you got divorced. So I'm not trying to do that. But at the same time, we need to understand that these things are not pleasing to God. And we cannot nurture them in our lives if we are to see his power and anointing manifest in and through our lives. You know, I believe that the church today has sometimes lost the understanding of what it truly means to be a Christian. And the reason is because Christianity is seen in the main as a religion instead of a way of life. Christianity is not a religion. It's a way of life. And that way of life needs to be pleasing to Almighty God himself. Let me throw this question at you right now as you are listening to this message. When last did you ask yourself the following question? Is my life pleasing to Almighty God? Is my life truly pleasing to Almighty God? Good question. When you and now surrender our lives to the Lord, we are adopting a way of life that should be drastically different 
to the way we used to act and think. Both our thoughts and our actions, they should be changed some way. Otherwise, then truly what have we surrendered? We haven't surrendered anything. We're still carrying on the way we were before. We should be so different to the world in our thinking, in our reactions, in our decisions, and in our talk, and so on, that we stick out. In other words, people look at us and think, this person is different. Something is different about them. It should be noticeable. Amen. This is what true conversion really is. We used to think and act this way. Now we think and act in a different way. If there's no change in our behavior, in our thought processes from before, then sometimes one wonders, have we truly surrendered our heart to the Lord? Now, I'm going to have to stop here uh, today uh, because of time, and I'm going to pick up on this because I want to give you some examples from the Word of God regarding carnality, regarding the flesh, so that you understand what we're talking about. And it is in the Word, and it's very easy to understand this thing. So I'm going to leave it to you here um, today. But suffice it to say that Today we have tackled two things particularly that become a hindrance to the power and the anointing of God from becoming manifest in and through our lives. The first one is the sin of unbelief. And the second one is the nurturing of carnality and sin in our lives as believers. I want to encourage you to start thinking about these things and it is time to look at ourselves. It is time to say, all these things, part of my life, have I truly dealt with these things? And we'll pick up from there next week as we continue with Church Powerful.